overtime. Proverbs chapter 21. Well, you know, in some portions of Proverbs, it's uh, really easy to construct an outline. You know, you have three points in a poem, and, and it makes it easy to remember. And, and, and where that is natural, I, you know, I, I try to do that. But for most of Proverbs, it is just a, it's just a verse by verse by verse proposition. And uh, so that, that's, again, what we find here. We don't have an outline, and this is the way God designed it, though. And, uh, and he does everything just right. Amen. I'm so glad it starts out with this first verse, uh, especially considering the, the fact that the election is almost upon us. And I want you to, I want, this is one of those verses I want you to get in your heart and never forget. Verse number one, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers, he turneth it whithersoever he will. We, we need to keep that truth before us at all times. Never forget that God is sovereign. God, God has control of everything. God does what He wants to do. We might not understand it. He doesn't always give an explanation for it. He just does it. And by the way, He never owes anyone an apology for what He does because it's always right. You know, we live in a time where it uh, everything seems to be raging out of control, and wow! And the more you the more you delve into all of this, I've, I've been working on an article, and I'm not sure of the title, but the whole the whole thing had to do with seeing the tip of the iceberg. You know, it's kind of where we're at. We 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 look at Washington, and we try to figure out what is going on, and and we just see the tip of the iceberg. That's all we see. Believe you me, there is so much more. Well, then you begin reading, and and you know you you can you can read what the liberals say or the conservatives say, the Democrats or Republicans, and so forth. And you read all of these different uh, viewpoints and so forth. And wow, it, 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 it's totally confusing. I, and the more you look at it, believe me, the more confused you get. And there comes a time where you just say to yourself, I am going to do my very best to cast my vote where God would have me to put it, you know, and then I'm going to just trust God because he's in control. And somebody says, well, you know, what if the wrong side, what if the wrong side wins? Listen, God can use that too. Uh, there have been instances where God, out of necessity, had to put His people under some cruel leader for the sake of, in some way, turning them back to Him. And so, uh, He's in control. He's in control of rivers. All of nature is subservient to God. And the Bible says He's a great King over all of the earth. I can't tell you how many times I've Crossed the almighty Mississippi River and as years ago when I was preaching so many revival meetings and time and time again I'd 
be coming in from a revival meeting and uh, up where I crossed it there. I didn't cross down at Memphis, crossed the bridge, but on up around Dyersburg and had to get the ferry. And I'd sit there and I'd be so tired, I couldn't hardly keep my eyes open, waiting for the ferry boat to get there and take me across that mighty Mississippi. And, and let me tell you, whenever the floods come and that old river begins to rage, Wow, there's not anything man can do to control that. But God does. God controls it. In fact, there was a time, I don't know whether you knew this or not, there was a time the Mississippi River ran backwards. It really did. And uh, God, God can do stuff like that. But the fact of the matter is, He not only controls the rivers, He controls the rulers. And we see that again and again. I think about Nehemiah. And whenever Nehemiah sought the king's favor, you, you remember the story, of course, he's the king's cupbearer, but anyway, he gets a report back from Jerusalem, his beloved city, and his people, you know, they've suffered horribly, and uh, there he is, and Babylon, the king's uh, cupbearer, and, and he, he gets the news that they're, you know, uh, uh, trying to, you know, the people coming back and so forth, and and, and and so the, the the amazing thing with all of that going on, the old king had never seen Nehemiah sad. He'd never seen him moping around or anything. He was evidently always a cheerful fellow, in spite of all of the in spite of all of the circumstances. I mean, most of us, if we got carried off into captivity somewhere, we'd think, "Oh my, I've got to live the rest of my life here." And you know, in captivity, uh, I, when I when I was preaching in Germany, I, I met some some Jews that had been in captivity in Siberia, and they got released from there and came back to to Germany and got an old factory building and started a church there. And uh, some of the most sweet, loving, kind people I've ever met in all of my life. You see, well. I, I think about Nehemiah in that situation. And so the king inquires, you know, what in the world is wrong? But the point I'm trying to make is when he needed the king's favor, what did he do? He went to God in prayer. He went to God in prayer. Because he knew that God could control the king's heart. The same thing is true whenever Joseph found favor with Pharaoh, by the way. Uh, when that happened, why in Genesis chapter number 41, we find first thing he does is take it to the Lord in prayer because God is able. Now, because God is able to change and God is able to control rulers, we need to heed the admonition that Paul gave to Timothy. First Timothy chapter 2 and the first three verses, and he tells us that we are to pray. Listen carefully now. We're to pray for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. That's verse number 2 of that section. Uh, I don't know about you, but there have been some times that I've had to confess my sin of not praying for our leaders as I should. Oh, you know, it's real easy to, you know, God bless America, you know, and we pray for our nation. Lord, help us through this difficult time and stuff. But uh, 
you know, as, as much as I dislike our current president, I've got an obligation to be praying for him. I, I really do. I, I mean, listen, God, God can do what we never imagine. Now, put all of this together, and here's the point I want you to take away from it. Believe it or not, Christians can influence the government. Think about it. We can influence the government. I'm not talking about through voting either. I mean, you know, we can do that. But we can have an influence over our government. That means that we can make an impact in the world. Well, you know, we're so quick when things go wrong and we get the wrong person in there for president and we look out at Hollywood and we say, I dirty, rotten bunch out there in Hollywood, those immoral people and what have you, they all supported so-and-so and they got this immoral person in as president and we, you know, so we blame them or we blame someone else. Well, you know, if the truth is known, it just might be that we Christians are more to blame than anyone else because we haven't prayed as we should. Think about Think about whenever Abraham learned that God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and he happened to think, you know, a little bell went off, ding, uh uh-oh, my nephew Lot is there, wow, you know. And so he begins to bargain with God and he said, Lord, would you spare the city? If I could find 50 righteous souls there, would you spare the city? And the Lord said, yeah, yeah, if you find 50, I'll spare it. Well, you know, he got to thinking, he kept reducing the number down until finally he said, Lord, how about if I could find ten? Didn't have much confidence in Lot, did he? You know, there wasn't, he didn't expect many converts from Lot. And for good reason, by the way. But the Lord said, yeah, you find ten and I'll spare the city. Now think about that for a little while. Had there been only ten righteous souls in that city, God would have spared it. But when they couldn't find the ten, when they couldn't find the ten, God destroyed it. Now think about that a little while. We are the salt of the earth, the Bible says, God's people. You know, and I really believe with all my heart that there is a certain number. It might not be the right way to describe it. There is a a certain point in America where if, if we as a people are so few or if we are so unspiritual that God can no longer use us our demise is certain I mean there'll be no holding back the wrath of God and and that that's why I keep saying the best thing that we can do for America is to win somebody to Jesus Christ that'll help more than anything the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord well we could keep talking about that we could say the surgeon's hand when you're undergoing an operation is in God's hand. Whatever the situation is, it's all in the hand of the Lord. Verse 2, every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the heart. Now, here, in the first part of this, he's talking about the self-righteous person, no doubt, who thinks he's always right. In other words, based on his own imagination, he forms opinions, he makes judgments, he charts his own course. 
And, and the problem is we can't trust our heart. Uh, over in Jeremiah chapter number 17, it tells us we, we can't know our heart. We can't, we can't trust our heart. You know, somebody says, well, you know, just as long as the person is sincere, that's all that really matters. No, it takes a whole lot more than sincerity. I remember what uh, some, some old preacher said years ago. He said, there are no persons in the world whom we make so many mistakes about as ourselves. It's real easy to look out at the other person and make judgments about them, and we make more mistakes about ourselves than anyone. And so many times we think that we've got it all figured out. We think we know all of the answers when in reality we don't even know what the question is. And, and, and that's a dangerous position to be in. And, and the only safeguard that we have is for us to ask God to reveal the truth about ourselves. And, and over in Psalms 139, I, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, that's the section that that song, Search Me, O God, and Know My Heart Today. Uh, and, and, and like I said before, I used to, when I was preaching revival, means I had the words of that song a copy of it in my Bible, and every time just before I'd get up to preach, I would read that to myself and to remind myself, you know, that it's not what I do, but it's what the Spirit of God is able to do. And we, listen, in order to really know our heart, we need to take that matter before the Lord and ask Him to reveal that to us because he, he, listen, he doesn't lie. You know, it's real easy for us to look at ourselves and to exaggerate, you know. Well, I'm not as bad as old so-and-so says I am, you know, and, uh, and we like to break our arm patting ourselves on the back. Boy, I'm telling you, when the Holy Spirit grips your heart and he begins to deal with the reality of who you are, sometimes it really hurts because he doesn't cut us any slack to make us feel good. He tells us the truth to help us get better. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Now, verse 3, to do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Now, this, this verse has to do with us winning God's approval. And uh, to do that, we have to realize that God despises hypocrisy. Uh, and, and that's why he demands justice and judgment. And, and so many times, you know, that it's easy for us and whatever we do to just go through the, emotion, the, the, uh, the, the, the motions of doing the right thing. In, in other words... We do our duty, that is, in the sense that we obey the letter of the law, but we ignore the spirit of the law. And, you know, the thing that made David great was the fact that the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. Here was a man that wanted to please God more than anything else in all of the world. And uh, that, that was his concern. And, and, you know, God knew his heart and knew that's what he wanted to do. On the other hand, there was Saul who, you know, we look at Saul and he was a fine specimen of a human being. He was bigger and taller and stronger and had all of the qualities of a great leader. And man, he fell flat on his face. And why? Because he didn't care what God wanted he made up his mind what he was going to do. And whenever the Lord sent him out against the Amalekites and told him, God, I want you to kill everything, kill the king, kill the cattle, kill everything. Well, you know, 
Saul and his army goes out there and they decided for some reason to keep the king alive. And then they got to looking at some of the animals. And they thought, man, you know, there's just not any sense in us killing all of these animals. We can use those. So, you know, they kept the best of the animals, the oxen and the sheep and so forth, and come back. And, and sure enough, there's the old prophet Samuel pointing his bony finger in his, Saul's face and inquiring, did you do what God told you to do? Oh, yeah, we, yeah, well, we got taken care of. Problem solved. We have uh, we've done our duty, and the old prophet said, "What is the bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the oxen? Where where did those animals come from? All that we we decided we decided it might be a good thing for us to bring them back. We're we're going to sacrifice those up to God, and, and then and then he discovers the king is alive. They didn't kill the king like they were supposed to." And he makes a statement. He says to obey is better than sacrifice. Now, I've told that story because that that illustrates what we're talking about here. To do justice and judgment, to do what is right in order to please God is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Now, he didn't write this, and it's not intended to minimize the value of the sacrifices. Now, keep that in mind. He's not saying, oh, those sacrifices aren't important because they're very important. Remember, those sacrifices all were were typical of Jesus Christ, his person and his work. That's why they had to meet a certain standard. Uh, in other words, it had to be it had to be a lamb of the first year. It had to be a male. It had to be inspected. It couldn't be diseased. It had to, you know, pass all of these things because of the fact that it was a type of Jesus Christ. These sacrifices are important because the blood that was shed in those sacrifices was a type of the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. They are important. So that, that's not the point. He's not saying, you know, that, you know, I don't really care that much about sacrifice. He is just emphasizing the fact here that I expect you to do more than to just go through the motions. Now, you see, the the Jews were reasoning in their mind here that as long as we offer up these sacrifices, we can be unjust, you know, we can treat people unfair, we can lie, we can, you know, we can do this and that, because after all, uh, we're, we're going to offer up all of these sacrifices. Uh, I've, I've talked to people who have that same kind of men- mentality. I've heard them say, right to me, I know what I'm doing is wrong, but God is a merciful God and I know He'll forgive me. You'll be fortunate if he doesn't kill you, if that's the way you think. Look, we don't play games with God like that. God is a God of mercy. He is a God of grace. But God doesn't take presumption lightly. And let me say, let me say this. We cannot, we cannot make up for our failure by excelling in some other area. In other words, our excellence in one area doesn't make up for our failure in another area. For example, giving doesn't take the place of going. You know, somebody says, well, you know, uh, yeah, God was really dealing with me years ago about being a missionary, but I just decided instead of, instead of, uh, 
leaving my relatives and quitting my job, I, I just decided what I would do is just, I, I would make a lot of money and then I would give a lot of money to missions. That's not good enough for God. If God's called you to go, you can't make up for it by giving. Praying doesn't take the place of performing. Somebody says, well, yeah, I know, I know what I ought to do. I know that needs to be done, but I'm just going to give myself to prayer. Well, we ought to pray, but we better put some legs to our prayer also. Worship doesn't take the place of work. You know, I think a lot of Baptists have never learned that. They think, oh, as long as I go to church Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and I worship the Lord and I sing loud and blah, 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 you know, uh, it didn't really make any difference if I do anything else. No, there's work to be done. And God expects us to do more than worship. He expects us to work. He expects us to do more than sing. He expects us to serve Him. And over and over again, God rebuked the children of Israel for this very thing. You know, in, in order to, in order to justify their rebellion against Him, they'd turn around and, you know, withdraw in a few extra sacrifices or something like that. And what God is saying here, look, I want justice. I want judgment. That's more important to me than those sacrifices. Those sacrifices are not going to make up for your failure in that area. Well, that brings us to verse number four. And uh, and like I said, we've got to be out of here. They're going to be in here at eight. But let me read it and make a few comments on it. And maybe we'll pick it up again next week. We'll see. A high look and, uh, and a proud heart and the plowing of the wicked is sin. Well, if you know anything about what the Bible teaches, you know that God hates pride. And that's why God so often warns us about pride. And I want you to notice that there's three things that just jump out at us when we look at this verse here. It tells us that pride can be displayed on the face. Notice a high look. And he mentions that in other places. Chapter number 6, verse 17, he talks about a proud look. Chapter 30, verse 13, he says, There is a generation. Oh, how lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up. In other words, it can show on our face sometimes. And then notice that pride can be hid in the heart. Notice he says, A high look and a proud heart. But here's the part I really want you to notice tonight, and that is, he says, the plowing of the wicked is sin. Wow, that, really? Really? Wait a minute. Plowing is a duty. Plowing is a responsibility. Plowing is something you got to do. You've got to go out. You've got to break the ground. You've got to plant the seed and so forth. I mean, hey, you've got to do that to survive. But he says the plowing, but here's the kicker, the plowing of the wicked is sin. And when we look at that and we say, well, I, just, I don't understand how... You mean an unsafe farmer goes out there and he plows the field and plants the seed and God looks at it and says, sin, sin. Well, now think about it a little while and remember, the ability of that seed to germinate, the water, the nutrients from the soil, the sunshine... And all of those ingredients that produce a harvest, all of those things come from where? 
God, you see. The old farmer doesn't have anything to do with it. He just goes out there, and all he does is break the ground, plant the seed, and, you know, wait, wait for the harvest. Now, keep in mind that we're talking about a wicked person here. A wicked person is someone that does not acknowledge God, someone that does not adore God, someone that just doesn't care anything about God. So here he goes out and he plants the seed and then he presumes that God is going to provide all of those things necessary for growth. In other words, on one hand, on one hand, he is acknowledging that God's going to produce this growth. God's going to supply my need. On the other hand, but I don't care anything about God. It's kind of like, you know, I, I, I enjoy what God does for me, but I don't want anything to do with him. He doesn't have a part in my life. That's why for the wicked, even plowing the field is sin. Keep this in mind. When the Bible says that God, God commands us to repent. God has commanded all men everywhere to repent. So when an unbeliever refuses to repent, that is to change their mind about sin and self and God, until they do that, they're what? They're living in rebellion against God. So whatever they do, it doesn't make any difference whatever they do. It's it's sinful in God's sight because it's impossible for them to please God when they're living in rebellion against God. You know, that's the, the one of the wonderful things about, you know, we talk about salvation and, and we can describe it as justification in, in so many different ways, but I love that word reconciliation. Whenever we're saved, we are reconciled to God. That means, that word means that two opposing parties come to agreement in one. And let me tell you, when it talks about reconciliation with God, it has nothing to do with God coming over our side in order to accommodate us and to please us. It has everything to do with us being, as it were, on God's side and where there was intimacy there before, now there is peace. As a result, we've been we've been reconciled to God. And what a wonderful thing to know that, you know, that we have a relationship like that with the God who has the King's heart in the Lord's hand. I guess if I could sum it up, I'm, if you're a believer. You don't have any reason to be discouraged. You say, yeah, but preacher, if you just knew what I was going through, and I don't have to know what you're going through. Uh, you say, well, preacher, don't you ever get discouraged or anything? Well, yeah, I do, but I shouldn't. You know, that that's no justification, you know, because the preacher gets discouraged for you to get discouraged. We shouldn't. We have nothing to get discouraged about because God can take even the bad things and all things and make them work together for good. So I don't know about you, but that helps me to sleep better when I know that God's controlling everything. Thank you so much for being here, and we got to get out of here. We're going to have prayer, and uh, they'll be they'll be coming in here in just a minute. Brother Keith, would you lead us in prayer tonight, please? Let's all stand, please.